Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges, and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Scott Luton and Greg Whitey with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Greg, how you doing? Good to have it. I'm doing very well. Thank you. It is evening where I am. <laughs> on special assignment, right? Yes. Special assignment in Europe. Yeah. You can tell because it's really dark and fashionable behind me. You can't see the fashionable. You'll just have to take my word for it. We always take Greg White's word for it. But hey, Greg, we have, <laughs> we've been on a hot streak this week, I tell you. And we've got yep. another great show here today. We're focused on the power of real-time, highly accurate data when it comes to making better, faster decisions across yep. your supply chain. We're going to be talking about how to approach that, proven practices, as well as how to empower your team members to be more successful. Greg, should be a good one, huh? I was waiting for you to say that. Oh, yeah. I almost can't answer until you ask that. Yes, of course. It'll be a good one. Yeah. I mean, we've had Mark on the show before, and now he brought a doctor. So that's right. That's right. We're uh, we're going for the real experts. <laughs> All the experts. We got a dynamic duo here today. Quite a one-two punch. Stay tuned as Mark Holmes and Ming Zhao, who Greg was alluding to, would be joining us here momentarily. And folks, get ready because we want to hear from you as well. We see Juan Garza and others in the chat already in the cheap seat. So we want to hear from you as we work our way over the next hour through this conversation. All right. So Greg, we're going to bring and bring on time on. today, folks, as a bonus, right? On yeah. time in full, just like on our guests. <laughs> just like our guests make happen across industry day in and day out. Speaking of, Juan, great to see you. Tuned in via LinkedIn from Dubai. I wonder if he's rubbed elbows with Kim Winter over there, Greg. We should ask. We should ask him. And this is, hey, Robert Felix, great to have you back with us again. You were with us yesterday as, as well, I believe, so great to have you. And Letford, tuned in from Zambia via LinkedIn. Great to see you. Finally, hey, Jeremy, how are you doing? It's been quite some time. But Greg, if you recall, Jeremy's one of our veterans that's transitioning into yeah. global supply chain. So great to see you, Jeremy. And Gino Pledger. Yeah, good-looking suit there. So he's doing okay transitioning apparently yeah i think he's managing mountains he's looking sharp yeah. looking sharp yeah and finally gino pledger of course north alabama great to see you gino as always appreciate all you do out in the industry to help others do things better Thank all you. right thanks for acknowledging our global time zones gino appreciate it <laughs> that's right that is right even for greg but hey it's a global conversation right just like global supply chain should yeah. be so to that end Greg, I'm going to bring in our two guests. You ready to go? Let's do it. All right. So with that said, I want to welcome in Ming Zhao, Head of Supply Chain Product Strategy with InterSystems and backed by popular demand, Mark Holmes, Senior Advisor of Supply Chain, his colleague at InterSystems. Hey, Ming, how you doing, sir? Very good. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. You bet. Welcome aboard. And Mark Holmes, repeat guest, backed by popular demand, one of the nicest guys in the industry. Mark, how you doing? I'm very fine. Very fine. Thank you. Great to be back. Good to have you. We're popular and we demanded it. <laughs> nice, Greg. Nice. Okay. The hot streak continues. <laughs> I, I had some seconds to thought, think about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we got, to, as y'all know, we want to start with just a little fun and warm up question, right? Because that's good to show a little personality out there. And in between me and Mark, we got it by the truckload. So did y'all know this? A famous Italian astronomer, physicist, and engineer, Galileo, you might have heard of him, once said that wine was sunlight held together by water. And he know he certainly knows bodies across space, right? So today is Chardonnay Day in the States. Monday's gonna be Chardonnay Day in other parts of the world. It happens to be my favorite adult beverage. So with that as a backdrop, I'm gonna ask all three of y'all, what is your either your favorite wine or really beverage of any sort. And Mark, I'm going to start with you. Sure. I would say, you know, St. Michelle has a really good Chardonnay, but also very good Riesling. Oh, nice, Mark. Ming. I don't get a near very well, but I know nothing about wine, unfortunately, because I don't drink. So I'm one of the worst boring company to have when people are going out. 
<laughs> so, okay, look, I appreciate that. And I love that transparency because you know plenty about what we're going to be talking about in a second. What is it? Do you have any favorite freshly squeezed juices then, Ming? Oh, yeah. Any kind of fruit juice freshly squeezed is, is good for me. I enjoy all of them. I'm with you, man. I love lemonade this time of year. All right. So, oh, yeah. Greg, how about you? <laughs> yeah, Ming, don't leave it out too long because it will become wine. So <laughs> be sure to drink that fruit juice fresh. Mine is a, a brand called Sasakaya Tenuto Sanguido. It's a nice little blend from Italy, as it turns out. And yeah, I love it, particularly the 2009 and 2014. Love that. Okay. We're getting you, Scott. If it's cold, <laughs> no, <laughs> if it's cold, dry, and dry, I love a good Chardonnay. I like it especially. I think Chardonnay is one of the best wines to pair with food, especially <laughs> fish and chicken. With especially mm. if you've got like a like a creamy sauce to it, man, it is like mm. that's why we live and eat and enjoy good wine and food. So you're All a right. pairing expert too. I did not know that. That's really <laughs> it's good to know. Expect some phone calls. Okay, <laughs> I'll need immediate decisions. Hey, I can't wait to hear more about your European adventures there, Greg. But Ming and Mark, again, welcome in. And I got to share this right before we get into why we're all here. So Big Show Bob Bove is with us here. Bob, hope this finds you well. He says, you guys are still on the air. And our team at Supply Chain Now says, Bob Bova, you can't get rid of us. I hope you're doing well. That's right. You can't get rid of us. All right. So let's do this. For our audience members that don't know both of y'all, Ming and Mark, I want to shed a little light on your journey. So Mark, you know, you've been doing big things in industry for years, especially in the retail, CPG, manufacturing, distribution, logistics, verticals. It has been quite a journey, huh? And it has. I've been doing it for over 25 years. I won't say exactly how many years because it will age me. But I have a unique perspective because I've been with many Fortune 500 companies, either from a 3PL perspective like Geotis or End User, which is like Dow Chemical, but also System Integrators and a standard setting company. So it allows me a unique position to be able to help solve business solutions that can bring in vertical thoughts from other verticals into their vertical. All right. And these verticals all play nicely in the sandbox, hopefully. We'll see. Stay tuned. More to come on that. Hey, Ming, now you're a tech, as we've done our homework on you and your first time here at Supply Chain Now, you're a technologist that's developed a reputation as a business-oriented, result-centered technical leader that get this brings an innovative, a can-do approach to problem solving. It all goes into making it happen, huh? Is that right, Ming? Exactly. I mean, most of my career has been focused on real-world problem solving in different industries, from improving aircraft engine efficiencies to intelligent supply chain solutions. I mean, I work for a small startup, you know, maybe two dozen people, two big companies with uh, several hundred thousand people, like General Electric, IBM. So one thing in common is I always enjoy, you know, turning technology into business outcome. Man, okay. So Greg, I want to bring you in on that note between as between Mark's journey and Ming's journey. Man, I bet there's lots of kindred spirits here, Greg. Preach that. For say it twice for the folks in the back. Business outcomes from technology is the only reason to have technology, right? I think sometimes so many people fall into the technology for technology's sake, right? We oh, we need blockchain. We don't know what for, but we need it. Um, or, you know, pick it, right? I always think back to the Industrial Revolution. There was a purpose for the mm. steam engine, right? It was a very clear purpose, and it was mostly the speed of driving or building the railroads, right? At least in the States, that was what it was for. And we should always think of technology with that same outlook. Yeah, you're already <laughs> speaking our language, Ming. Appreciate it. This is going to be an excellent conversation. So Mark and me, I want to get into, you know, both of y'all traveling the world, making things happen, working with some of the leading business leaders and organizations out there. Mark, I want to start with you here. What are you seeing in terms of current priorities for business leaders, really regardless of sector? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I've been traveling quite a bit. So I was at the Hanover Fair in Germany about maybe six weeks ago now, I was at the Gartner Supply Chain Symposium and then at the North American Supply Chain Summit. You know, it's very interesting. So many people came up almost with the exact same discussion point that it's all about optimizing data. It's not about, I mean, one person just said to me last week, you know, it's not about the application or the enterprise system anymore. It's around how can we optimize that data because of all the disparate data sources that are out there, not only internally, but externally, the suppliers and all the logistics providers. But how do we harmonize and normalize to get real-time data accurately 
to then do something with it. Maybe it goes back into the application, but ultimately, how do we optimize that business outcome into actionable insights? Yes. So Ming, I'm coming to you next, but really quick, Mark. I love this. Harmonize, then normalize, and then maybe <laughs> operationalize. And who, however many eyes we can add to that. Ming, right. <laughs> what else? What else would you add to that, Ming, in terms of current priorities? Yeah, I mean, for the last 15 years or so, I've been helping our clients on digital transform transformation initiatives around the world, mostly around supply chain. And although I see priority changes from region to region evolve over time, a common thing is still around data, as Mark mentioned, right? And the focus I see has been shifted a little bit over time, you know, or from early days, it's all about digitalizing the information to drive automations. Later on, towards business intelligence insights. Today, I see more focuses on improving business outcome with real-time decision assistance. So Greg, I'll get you to speak here in terms of what Mark and Ming have shared as well as what you're seeing. I mean, right now you're of course in Europe and having business conversations to Ming's point with different, you know, different parts of the global supply chain. Your thoughts, Greg? Well, I think that we've got so many terms for it, but again, what Mark and Ming are talking about is having technology do technology things and even to the point of providing at least a recommendation if not a complete decision right i think for years we were afraid to let that happen but now we not only should and can but have to embrace it because that's what the coming generations in the workforce expect is for technology to do technology things and to leverage all that data to create i wish i could come up with another eyes really Quick, but all I can think of is the eyes of Texas are upon you. So that's as good as I got, guys. Sorry, but but I think you know part of what you're talking about, Ming, is because of the expectations of the workforce as they continue to grow. They expect that decision assistance, and there I can tell you, and I'm sure both all of us can vouch for this. There's nothing more frustrating than data that can only tell you things are up, and you need, and we can't give you the slightest clue what to do about it, but at least you know that they're messed up. Yeah. So uh, that's a very frustrating thing. I've always felt like that with the wealth of data that we have, there's no reason that we can't get to that next stage of saying, hey, by the way, house is burning down, throw some water on it. Or, you know, or what, whatever analogy catastrophic <laughs> than that. And we're there now. There is enough data. And with all of the eyes, we can use that data to get us to what should the solution be, or at least what does the data tell us the solution should That's be. That's right. And then allow humans to use their critical thinking to determine if the data tells us enough to do that. Excellent. And Greg, you're capturing like major theme for today's conversation, for sure. Oh my and gosh, did I jump way ahead? <laughs> not at all. You know, it's one of our, it's one of the messages we love to pound, yeah. pound the microphone all about, right? Because there's a massive opportunity. All right, so really quick, before we continue on with Mark and Ming here, we've got a lot of folks, Jeremy's celebrating Arnold Palmer's, which by the way, folks, I don't know, teas, tea and lemonade combined, right? Half and half. But Jeremy's also asking a question that I bet we'll address parts of as we get deeper, you know, talking about the impact of AI and how that figures into the evolution of supply chain data analytics, which I'm sure we're going to touch on. Let's see here. Chris says option eyes, not optimize. Hey, I like that. Chris. And Rotnesh. Eyes that is decisionized. Right. Basically, right. Right. Think of an eyes that means decision. <laughs> And then Ratnesh, great to have you here from Mumbai. He says prescriptive analytics, but initially he put perspective analytics. I don't like that phrase. Maybe yeah, a, I know that spell check got him there, but actually that's a pretty good insight. I'm with you. I love it. All right. So, Mark, let's keep going with you here. Uh, I want to talk about, as we drill down a little deeper into one area in particular, what are the biggest data challenges facing supply chain operations today, Mark? Yeah, in fact, I'll, I'll give two examples that I think is really interesting. In fact, I love the comment around optionize. You know, it's actually literally a conversation that I had about two hours ago with a, a automotive company in Germany trying to optimize aftermarket parts into the dealerships. And it was actually that conversation. The, the point, the issue that they had, the business challenge that they had that was the latency of data from all of their different systems, but able to, in real time, synchronize supply and demand. And when was there disruption between the two? But to be able to, they said, look, we can bring it into a control tower, but what we can't do is we can't move it into insights. Like so many of us have lost uh, tribal knowledge 
the people wanting to be more pro productive and being able to create those insights accurately in real time. But to be able to say, look, once we be able to, again, using the term harmonize, normalize, but what are the not only prescriptive insights, but prescriptive insights around options down to ROI levels. So, hey, what if I'm going to be late? But maybe what if I can move from two diff different distribution centers? What's the impact of that? What if I can avoid expediting freight? Or maybe I can move it from one distribution center and then expedite a small portion of another. What are all those yeah. options that have an ROI impact that's being done in real time and accurately assisting the line of business with that decision? Yes. Options are a great thing. And Mark, that's a great comment. Before we go to Ming, Greg, weigh in on that because I think he's talking some of your language there. Yeah, I mean, all of that wealth of data allows you to understand what the options are or could be, right? Or and how to process them. So I think that you know, and I think the other thing we have to recognize when we talk about, as you did, Mark, when we talk about what's going on with the workforce, a lot of that tribal knowledge was in here I go again. Right. If anyone was here yesterday, you heard me say this yesterday too. It was in the baby boomer gen generation, which right. Uh, despite what we may have thought initially about the great resignation, it was almost all baby boomers leaving the workforce right. with that tribal knowledge because they came, they started working in an era when not, when hardly anything was driven by data or even documented. And so a, a lot of that tribal knowledge has left the workforce at a tremendous rate and continues to until that generation is gone. And the rest of us, Gen X, Y, and Z are all completely dependent on data because we were raised and you know and schooled yeah. in a period when you could collect and capitalize on data even in its most rudimentary form that tribal knowledge piece in mark's response that's what i knew i was going to bring you in to address there greg we're talking about that a lot <laughs> ming what else would you add when we talk about you know some of the biggest challenges data challenges when it comes to supply chain operations today geez i find somehow i find that's a, one of the most difficult questions to answer it seems easy. Now, there are many data challenging supply chain today. It depends who you're talking to in their digitalization transformation journey, right? For example, some people still struggle today to get the data into one place integration-wise, right? Particularly with the legacy systems they have in place. Others, they may be dealing with, struggling with like a master data management. You know, they may be like yeah. one example, Mark and I are talking to, they have 32 ERPs and they couldn't get things together, you know, to go across all these different ERP systems. But if I have to pick one, I would say, really it has to be, how would you drive business value out of your data while you are having constant disruptions in your supply chain? So, yeah, that's Greg. I think that's a pretty good one to pick. I'm still stuck on 32 ERPs. I'm sorry, <laughs> man. You got me. <laughs> you have me stuck there. Greg, you respond, please. I mean, that 32 ERPs is a very common refrain, especially in the manufacturing and brand brands in the industry where they've acquired themselves to breadth of product line, right? They've acquired this factory or that factory or this entire company who acquired other companies, all of which had their own ERPs, or they may have all had it or many had a, a similar ERP, but different versions, different customizations, et cetera, et cetera. So it is a very common problem. And there are solutions built not to do an ad, but I'm wearing the t-shirt, which I won't show you. There are many companies or solutions built to do that harmonization of data between those types of things. The old, you call it a pail, we call it a bucket of paint, whatever, or can. And those are the simple problems. And those are very difficult to attack. But, you know, once you reconcile yourself to however you're going to do that, and thank goodness, it doesn't always have to be a data cleansing effort, which takes about as long as an ERP implementation. You've enabled your business to capitalize, you know, as Ming is talking about. All right. Good stuff there, man. We're not even a third of the way through. Got a lot of more good stuff coming. Mark, any final thoughts there? We're talking about the biggest data challenges. We're going to, we're about to move into some examples, some opportunities and a lot more. I'll give you the final word, Mark. When we talk about what organizations are struggling with when it comes to data. Your final words? Yeah, I think it's, you know, Ming hit it spot on. And it's how do we really get to business outcomes in the quickest way, the most accelerated way. So accelerated time to decision, but also accelerated time to the right decision. Anybody can make a decision, right. but is it the right decision? And to what Greg was just saying, and I'll lead this into when we talk about the ultimate control tower, but talking to a company last week, you're exactly right, Greg. There's so many acquisitions taking place today 
So this company I spoke to last week just did yet another acquisition. They have 62 different enterprise systems and 3,000 suppliers. And mm. how and their whole focus is how to optimize and manage data in, in a very accurate, real-time and effect and effective manner. Right. Right. You can't spend six months trying to put it all this together and make sense out of it. Yes. You need it yeah. done in weeks and you need an architecture to be able to do that. You provided us with a wonderful segue, especially the first part of your response there. So we want to talk, there's a, there's a better way, folks. And that's the good news here. So we're going to talk about a couple of different approaches that organizations are leveraging to find success, especially when it comes to real-time data, optimized decision-making, empowered team members, and get this, one of my favorite phrases, overall supply chain orchestration. Now, the first one, Mark, you let the cat out of the bag earlier. And, you know, when I see this phrase, Greg, I keep thinking of the ultimate warrior for any of our wrestling fans out there, the ultimate warrior, but we're not talking about the ultimate warrior. We're talking about the ultimate control tower. So Mark, tell us more. Yeah. So look at it this way from a control tower standpoint, of course, there's a lot of control towers out there that are even either being developed within the company or purchased from an outside vendor to bring it in. And again, the same conversation this morning with this company from Germany is how do I ensure that there's no latency and my data is most accurate coming into the control tower, number one, especially in all the conversations that we have just had, which is yep. so important. So that data has to be accurate. It has to be real time. But the ultimate portion of the control tower comes to what do we do then with the data? We know that shipments are going to be late due to maybe it's a hurricane or disruption with a supplier or simply a mismatch between the SKUs of the purchase order and the actual what's being supplied against that. But the point is, what do you do with it? Because let's say that you have on-shelf availability is key or fulfillment in the manufacturing is key. You can't be off one SKU, right? You can't. It's important. You're going to miss a buy. You're going to miss production. So it's important that if you know it is going to be late, what are my options? And there's so much data and there's so much going on with disruptions that you need assistance and be able to make that happen, whether it's optimized algorithms, maybe it's AI, maybe it's ML. The point is, ultimate is taking the data and providing predictive and prescriptive insights to be able to do something with that disruption. Yes. And Mark, and Greg, will get your comment here, but you know, one of the things that Mark just shared reminds me of an old adage I learned at the beginning of my career, one of the only problems you can't do anything about is one you don't know anything about. But Greg, speak to what we heard there with the ultimate control tower, uh, Greg. I mean, I think we've all started to recognize that control tower, terms like control tower and visibility really mean the opposite of what, in general, they have meant the opposite of what Mark and Ming are talking about. They show you the problem, but they don't show you the solution, right? They, and they can't drive you to the prescriptive or perspective or optimized insights. And I think that the value of what Mark and Ming are talking about is going the next mile to say, hey, we found this problem in your ecosystem and here's what you need to do about it. I just think that is so incredibly powerful. And as we talked about, it's going to be demanded by the coming generations, right? That's right. That's right. All right. So Ming, I want to shift gears here. I want to talk about smart data fabrics. Of course, this is a topic that Mark and some of your previous appearances we've dove in to here. Ming, your thoughts. I want to continue from this ultimate control tower topic there. So the control tower itself can be very sexy from outside, but really to make the real to deliver value, it counts on many different things behind the scene, mm -hmm. right? From real-time information, normalized, consistent data, right? different analytics tools to support whatever you need to do, you know, business rules, you know, and all those things need to come together to help not only provide the visibility, but also help you to get the value out of the data to help your decision-making process, right? That's mm -hmm. the part we want to get to. I mean, if you think about traditionally how you can do things like that, you're going to take a lot of different services, different products, and then trying to integrate them together, have data transfer from one form, one location to another form, in another schema. Huge amount of effort and the resources required. In many cases, in supply chain particularly, because supply chain changes so fast. You know, by the time you implement a solution using those approaches, the scenario already different. Basically, what you're doing only mm -hmm. give you partial value, not the original full value you're expecting from it. So what that really requires to make it successful is something what we call a smart data fabric architecture. And we've got a graphic here that might help folks follow along with you, Ming. You want me to go ahead and share that? Yes, please. Okay, let's do that. 
So tell us, what, tell us more about the smart data fabric. So I would like to use an example to explain instead of talking about the technical details here, right? So let's give a simple supply chain problem. Say if a warehouse manager get the notice, say there's a container ship, uh, container delivery is going to arrive, say three days earlier ahead of schedule. What should you do? Very simple, right? Scenario, right? But this person have to check a lot of different things to really decide whether he's going to be able to find the space and neighbor to receive it three days early, or maybe he will have to put the container, you know, put in the yard somewhere, or he have to reschedule with the carrier to say deliver another time or for whatever reason. Now, before he can make that decision, he first he will have to collect all the information, right, from data from your warehouse management system, WMS, OMS, TMS, right, get all the data. And then he also need to collaborate with other systems, like with carriers, with the labor management systems, so on. And, and in some cases, in order to say if he can really actually delay the receiving of the container ship, he may have to understand what the demand sensing look like for the product in certain regions, right? So he may need some ML tools to help him out to understand the demand. So if you think about all of these, there's a lot of different things that you need to come together. Now with Smart Data Fabric, all these the features we talk about, you know, whether from data integration, business process orchestration, you know, all ML, AI things, it's all running on one data platform. And the beauty thing, because they're running on one data platform, we can let the data to be shared in across all these different systems and solutions. So that way you don't have to do huge amount of integration effort from data, from proper business process, from business logic perspective, and you can easily going through the scenario analysis and come to a decision say, hey, based on my current information through all my analysis, I can just reschedule it, a shipment for another day, another time. So that's what the smart data fabric will give you. You know, you don't have to go through all those different systems trying to move data around. Data flows automatically through all these systems. And in each of these capabilities, whether it's ML, integration, and analytics, they just work together and share the same data to help mm. you to accelerate the decision-making process. Thank you, Ming. I really appreciate that. Mark, do you want to add anything to Smart Data Fabric before we move forward? I think not really, to be honest. I mean, Ming covered it extremely well. I think what's important to note, too, is you know, Data Fabric has been around for a while, right? Forrester talks about it. Gartner talks about it. But we truly have taken it one step further to that smart data fabric. So the smart section of what Ming stated, right? The embedded interoperability, the embedded analytics, the AI and ML, those two portions, when they work within the platform, is adding a significant differentiation, but all using that architecture, which is an ability to have a low cost of ownership it's very efficient and allows you to scale very quickly. And Greg, before we move on to some of the data insights, scaling quickly and smart data fabrics, your thoughts, Greg? Yeah, I mean, I think scaling is critical. The Even just the basics of harmonizing that data is really critical. But then being able to leverage it into those next tier types of solutions that we've already talked about, that's absolutely yep. critical for that. And, you know, it gets really technical. So Ming, I appreciate you addressing that as an example, because this whole notion of data fabrics and all of the math and science and magic that goes into it is very confusing. But I think that, you know, one of the things that's really encouraging about the way both of you are addressing this is focused on the outcomes, right? Even a smart data fabric is just a hammer, right? We're just trying to build the house better. And and the way that you all have so naturally transitioned that into, into solutions, actual solutions, not just playing with or massaging data is really impressive. And it's a spirit that a lot more companies need to take on because I think sometimes we fall in love with the problem and we, mm. right? And we love to toy with the solution too much. But yes, starting with the, you know, my, big motto, Scott, begin with the end in mind. I think that this is a very important perspective for people to capture as we talk about this today. Agreed. And I want to echo what you said on the front end of your response there, Greg, the altitude that Mark and Ming, both of y'all keep it at, where it's approachable for so many business leaders that may not be a technologist, may not be a big data scientist and keeping it approachable. You know, Ming, you're a PhD from MIT, if I'm not mistaken. And the approachability that you respond and share with Mark, much like you, that's so important in today's age where we're getting so much thrown at us. But on a lighter note, 
Mark and Ming, free advice for the next. I know y'all go to a lot of conventions and trade shows. Harmonize is something out there. Uh, you know, we hear it five times a day. We need to have a barbershop quartet talking, <laughs> singing about supply chain harmony. I'm telling y'all, it'll bring people to the inner systems booth. Okay. That is worth the, worth the cost of admission, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, which is nothing, right? Your money back guarantee. <laughs> All right. So all of this brings us into the third thing we're going to be talking about. Mark, we're going to get you to start here. Predictive and prescriptive insights. Your thoughts, Mark? Yeah. You know, in fact, I like what you said earlier, Greg, about the whole magic, right? You know, it, it seems like there is a lot of magic going on behind the scenes. But one of the things that we'll talk a little bit about this in just a little bit, but I, it's something and I'm not going to be salesy here, but, you know, it's something that Intersystems has been doing for 45 years, 45 years, mm -hmm. optimizing data within a data platform. In fact, just to give you two examples leading to prescriptive insights. This is a new doc. Mm -hmm. We've been doing this for a very long time. And one of the things that we, you know, just to give you a, a couple of fast facts. So 80% of all medical records within North America runs through Intersystems technology, 80% mm, wow. of all medical records, patient medical records runs through our software. Also, you know, the Milky Way, right? The European Space Agency runs on our system to be mm. able to map out the Milky Way. So think about the billions and billions of sets of data to be able to do that. But it's leading to, so one of the things, just to go back to the healthcare or the hospital aspect of how prescriptive insights are used, surgeons, literally at the point of surgery on their app, on their phone and on their app, we bring, we push prescriptive insights if we think something has been overlooked that could injure that patient either before or during surgery. It goes in through that app. So we do this extremely well. And the insights that we bring into prescriptive is obviously used across verticals. I mean, we use at SPAR, one of the largest grocery consortiums in Europe, runs on our application. They run their grocery application on the technology that we have. They can sense demand patterns, right? They use heavy usage of insights behind it. And I think it's good to know, I think around prescriptive and predictive insights, you know, everyone automatically goes to AI and ML driven, right? But not everything has to be AI and ML driven. You know, there can be things that you could do because think about it, to truly use ML, you want to make sure that it's predicting the right model accurately, right? But there's ways of maybe relationship modeling, mathematical modeling, mathematical algorithms that we can go in and truly provide very accurately and very scalable prescriptive insights. Mm -hmm. So it's something that can greatly enhance the line of business in making the right decisions and optimize as we do existing systems like SAP doesn't work really well when you get into an unconstrained environment, mm -hmm. right? We can go from unconstrained to constrained and provide insights of how to be able to manage better, maybe production sequencing. So, it is because of everything that, that Ming has been talking about, the technology to allow business outcomes as examples. Yeah. All right. So, Greg, I'm going to get your comments in a minute. Ming, what else would you add to what Mark has shared here? Mark already covers the technical aspect, the algorithm piece. So I'm going to stay away from technical side here. So one thing I would like to add here, you know, there are many tools out there for analytics, you know, AI, ML, and so on. So I'm not going to get into those details, but I see two critical things to make the successful for actual business. One is how easy are these tools is to be able to inject their customer specific business logic. So people may think you, all I need is a powerful AI tool. ChatGPT, will that solve all the supply chain problems? No. If it doesn't consider your own business logic, right, it doesn't necessarily solve your problem. So that's one thing. The other thing is really, can the solution you get out of this tool work with your existing system? Can that be easily used in my control tower, for example? Can I use that in my existing enterprise BI tool? Because I cannot say I need to set up a whole another BI system just to do one little thing to use with ChatGPT, for example, right? So really, those two criteria some sometimes get get didn't get enough attention, in my opinion. But that's critical to make the solution work for your business. Yeah, said Ming, and I like how Mark took the technical side of that answer <laughs> first. So, uh, all right, so, so Craig, what would what you hear there, and what do folks need to hear there? Maybe I mean I think it's. I, I guess as technical as what Mark was talking about, the stunning realization that technology is guiding physicians who hold people's lives in their hands, right? I mean, I think we all knew that to some extent, but when you hear it in this context, 
where we have people who don't want to let technology do their job because they know it better. This is literally someone who cuts people open and fixes them for a living. And it's much, much more high stakes than anything we do or ever will do in supply chain. So if technology is at a stage, and I would think that after 45 years of evolving data management and use of data, that you could fully expect that to be the case. If it is advanced enough to guide someone to keep a human being alive and enhance their life, in fact, then it's something that we can use in a business environment, right? And, and you know, to, Ming, to your point of being able to easily inject your business logic, that is basically being able to tell the system what your ecosystem rules are, your boundaries are, all of that sort of thing. And then having the system adapt to that, that is incredibly powerful. One, Mark, I have to confess, even after all the times we've talked, I didn't know 45 years, I had no idea. Yeah. But that, is, that was a really enlightening realization, the fact that it is used for surgery. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The surgeon. The surgeon. It's incredible. Yeah. So, Greg, I'm going to I'm going to jump in there because healthcare was fascinating. And Gre and Mark, you and I haven't chatted enough about that. But what you've been holding out on, because, you know, I'm a big old supply chain nerd, as evidenced by what I my space shuttle I got back from the Smithsonian <laughs> a month or two ago. I had no idea about with the European Space Agency yeah, and Milky, yeah. not mapping out the Milky Way. Yeah, yeah. We're going to have to sit down and dive more into that soon. Yeah, that'd be they fun. can really that'd call fun. themselves a, a universal solution. Literally. <laughs> nice. I like that. So, all right. So this is what I want to do. You know, as many conversations as we've had, Mark, with you here, you know, going back a couple of years, both in person and virtual, if there's some things that we still new wrinkles that we don't know about all yeah, the cool yeah. things in our systems yeah. is doing, I'm sure our listeners will have some of the same blind spots. So I want to shift gears into, if you could tell us in a nutshell, you know, what exactly, tell us what InterSystems does, Mark. Yeah, and if you don't mind, maybe you know, I'm going to call you out on this, right, to slide. If you don't mind bringing that sure. slide up. Yeah, because I think it's important and something that we can share. And Ming, please jump in. I'm just going to be very brief because I don't want to be too reiterative of what we've been saying. But look, been around for 45 years. We're over a billion dollars in revenue. We are private, privately held, with no private equity investment at all. Our CEO wants to make sure and founder of the company, still here. In fact, he's, he's giving a speech right now is it's all about the customer. What Making sure the customer gets that business solution that exceeds expectations. And, and we make that happen day after day. And our platform is unique in the industry where like what we've been all talking about is that we have four embedded technologies that acts as one capability and one product. So we can bring all of that data in no matter what format, it, it doesn't matter. Disparate data comes in harmonized, normalized. It's all in real time. It's not another data warehouse or data lake. It literally sits at rest to use on demand. And then we can use our embedded inter interoperability, which is simulating work process flows. And then we're embedded analytics, which can be either AI or ML or the algorithms and whatnot that Ming has been talking about. So all four of those using a smart data fabric works together. And that is one of the major reasons why that we can accelerate time to value because you're only dealing with one product. You're not dealing with five, six, you're dealing with one. And, you know, that's why we can go into fortune 100 companies and give significant results in six weeks. Mm. You know, make anything to add that I missed that you think is important to the listeners here. I think you covered it well. I mean, the only thing I will add is you know, what attract me to intersystems is the company is really focusing on, bring value to our customers, not necessarily trying to sell just for the sake of selling technology. It's really driving business outcome. That's what really attracted me. And that's powerful, Bing. That's kind of where, Greg, that's kind of where we started this conversation, right? Not yeah. leveraging technology for the sake of leveraging technology. And I think we talked about, and Greg, I'm going to bring Jeremy's comment here because it, it references this. Now, I'm not sure what a spanner wrench is. I'm going to find out. But I think we took just a ranch in England. That's what they call it. Oh, okay. All right. It's Learn something new every day. 
Yeah. <laughs> okay. So tell yeah. us, so Greg, speak to whether you want to pick back on what Mark was sharing about the inner systems mission or what Ming said there, which I think is pretty powerful. Focus simply on outcomes. Greg, your thoughts. Yeah. Look, I think this is a model. Obviously, this is a model that works. 1978, to give you an idea, was 45 years ago. We, all of us here, were little kids then. So... <laughs> I mean, I think it would be it's probably difficult for some of the younger generations to even think about the fact that people were using data in 1978. I'll tell you kids, they were also using it in the 50s, but not quite as effectively as this. But I think the expertise, the fact that they have been evolving business model and understanding not just that data exists, but also Mark said this, I think very diplomatically, kind of dragging their customers along to utilize this data. As he said, this whole notion of prescriptive is not new. I mean, I know companies that were doing it in the 80s, and I bet InterSystems was one of them. But we've been able to, because we've had boom times and at various times, we've been able to ignore the efficiencies. And particularly, I'm you know, not picking on any particular industry, but manufacturers and brands, have such incredible gross margins and they foist so much of the risk in supply chain, for instance, off onto retailers and distributors that they haven't had to be as efficient in their supply chain. And now the one thing that has changed that forces everyone to be supremely effective with their supply chain is visibility. And it's not visibility in your supply chain, it's visibility of your supply chain. Children, right? Every consumer and even politician know what the supply chain is. And as all of us, as all of us can relate to, we've all been at a cocktail party and said we were in supply chain, watch somebody's eyes glaze over and see them go find somebody much more interesting to talk to. <laughs> People are aware that supply chain exists and what it, and there is no, there is nowhere to hide. And now finally manufacturers, big companies who have gross with the capital G margins, have realized it's not just a margin play supply chain. It is also an identity, a brand identity play for your company because nowadays people know that if Costco or Target run out of toilet paper, it's not just their fault, right? Whoever, Charmin, had something to do with it as well, right? So that's what makes that, that along with incredible generational change in the workforce, is what makes this so important. Now. Well said, Greg. You spiked the football there. A couple of quick comments. David Glover, congratulations on uh, making a supply chain achievement. So congrats to you. Jeremy. So David's uh, Jeremy been po drinking before he came on. <laughs> That's right. He's been celebrating. That's right. <laughs> Jeremy points out, you know, silos and how that has been a big barrier to data analytics across bigger organizations. That's right. We've talked about silo busting going back for years. That's a good comment there. All right. So Mark and Ming, you both brought some resources that we're going to be sharing with a few folks. Is there anything else before we go into those resources? And of course, we're also going to make sure folks know how to connect with both of you. Anything else you want to add about how critical this juncture we're at, right? Where, you know, we have decisions to make and not making decisions is certainly, that's an option. Going back to options, right? But man, what you can cost your team, your organization, your mission, you name it. And we talked about the healthcare industry where it's life and death. Man, we can learn a lot perhaps from the healthcare industry. But anything else you want to add there, Mark, before we proceed to some resources that InterSystems team brought? Sure. Just real quick. I think, you know, some of the things that I hear when I'm traveling around, disruption's over. It's so untrue. You know, we don't know what the next disruption is going to be. There's still significant disruptions. Bed Bath and Beyond's out of business. You know, and there would be many more that would be going out of business. So what does that do? Creates disruptions along the supply chain. So we're just seeing the beginning, in my opinion, and we need to move along the digital transformation roadmap as quickly as possible. Said you know, well Mark, said. that's a really good point. I think I think because the general public lacked awareness of supply chain, they didn't realize that that aside from the dramatic effects of COVID and the impact that it had on the labor force, which I will argue to my death is the largest, I mean, largest region, reason for impact on the supply yeah. chains, that yeah. ships got stuck in the Suez Canal before, that, you know, we had catastrophic freezes in Texas that caused the 
petroleum-based products to be difficult. We've had all kinds of disruptions on and across the seas. It's just that nobody knew about it before. That's why I say that awareness and this visibility of the supply chain is the only change that can, that has really manifested in a different understanding of the supply chain. The, we've had wars before. I mean, all of these things have happened before. Just nobody knew that it could impact the supply chain, right? Mm-hmm. I think even probably 45 years ago, even supply chain practitioners, I would say even 20 years ago, many supply chain practitioners didn't realize that these kind of world events mm-hmm. impacted the supply chain, at least not so broadly. Yeah, But it is, it's a very complex and delicate ecosystem is really probably a better term for it, commerce ecosystem that, you know, butterfly flaps its wings and tidal waves hit the West coast mm-hmm. of California, right? So I think there's that awareness is the biggest change. And the note, the notion, I would love to meet whoever said that to you, Mark, the notion that disruption is over is silly. And I'm curbing my language. Right. <laughs> it's scary to have that. That, that is a right terrible now. perspective. That is, yeah. I mean, yeah. that could really torpedo a company. Yeah. All right. Mark, Greg, Ming, what a great conversation. I wish we had another hour to dive into some of this stuff. But, you know, for the sake of time, I want to keep us on time. And we've got some great, you know, going back to what Ming said, all about the outcomes, right? All about the outcomes. We've got some great resources that will let you dive in deeper. So the first one in our team, I think, is going to drop it down in the comments. It'll be also be in the episode notes. I want you to check out this brief from the Intersystems team on how to accelerate business outcomes with integrated decision intelligence. Y'all can check that out. Secondly, got a great, a neat infographic on smart data fabrics for supply chain, going back to some of the things that Mark and Ming both shared there, trying to make things easier, which is good. And then finally, Mark, I know we wanted to drop the, if you want to learn more about some of the supply chain solutions that Mark and Ming both mentioned, you can visit intersystems.com forward slash supply chain. And Mark, anything anything you want to add in terms of the good old WIFM? What's in it for me, right? When we talk about these resources that folks bring, Mark, anything you want to add there as I make sure folks know the links are in the chat and episode notes, Mark? Yeah, I think just real quick, and I'll move it over to Ming, that for me, you know, LinkedIn, I'm a huge LinkedIn user. Please, by all means, you know, chat with me, send me some notes, be more than happy to follow up and have you know, have a conversation, even if it's just bouncing ideas off of each other. Yes. Mark, you beat me to the punch and we're going to make sure folks know how to connect with y'all. Absolutely. And Mark, as it going back to, I think how we teed you up, one of the nicest guys, most informed individuals in <laughs> supply chain, you will enjoy comparing notes with Mark. I can tell you, Ming, anything you want to add about those resources? No, I think that's a good coverage. And the same way, best way to reach me is on LinkedIn. And I'm happy to take this conversation further with any of your interest. Excellent. Greg, I'm going to get your final key takeaway. But Mervin is back. We want to say hello to a few folks here. Mervin, hope this finds you well. Let us know where you are now. With Greg, if you remember when Mervin was joining us a while back, I want to say he was Dublin. either. Yes, Dublin. That's right. So mm-hmm. Mervin, hope this finds you well. Check out what he says. Supply chain is disruption. Managing it is another thing said Mervin. And hey, Syed, great to see you. It's been forever. Best of luck to you as well. You and all of your associates there from that box brain. All right. So Greg, we have heard a lot of really good stuff, including some resources from Mark and Ming. And folks, as Mark and Ming both mentioned, you can find them on LinkedIn. We've dropped their links there. We've dropped the URL. We can learn more about intersystems.com forward slash supply chain, some resources. Y'all check that out. But Greg, all the ground we've made up here in the last hour, if there's one thing that folks got to take away from this conversation, what would that be? It's why an outcome-based perspective is necessary. Because with when you understand what your desired outcome is, then you do the right things that follow that lead to that, right? You select the right technology. You decide, Mark, I can't believe I missed this comment, a comment on this comment. You decide whether AI, ML, or just, you know, straight mathematical algorithms or even just process enhancement is what or all you need to reach your outcome. You don't buy or overbuy technology for technology's sake, as we've said here several times, but it's important not just for Ming and Mark and the folks at InterSystems to have that perspective, but for all of us who are seeking solutions to have that perspective to first, right, begin with the end in mind, but to first 
understand what it is we're trying to accomplish. What is that end? And then what does it take within our entity to, to get that? I have done, as you know, Scott, a couple thousand software implementations, and I have seen some truly rudderless implementations, despite that warning, you know, throughout the sales and the yep. implementation process. And the result is always the same. I, the result of rudderless management is exactly what just had happened to Bed Bath and Beyond. Rudderless and utterly incompetent. But rudderless is dangerous enough. Let's not yeah. go the way of Bed Bath and Beyond. <laughs> let's just but seriously, let's just understand our business and what our goals are and then challenge. And I know that Mark and Ming will welcome this challenge. Challenge someone with a solution to tell us how they can do how they can approach that and give us that outcome. Because yes. it really selecting any kind of service provider or technology company should be as easy as that. I have this problem. Tell me how you can solve it. Too many companies try to prescribe this, the methodology of the solution rather than just the outcome. Yeah. And if you can train yourself just to think just about that outcome, these guys can get you there. Yes. Greg, man, that was quite the benedictions, what we called that back in the day, going to church. I love that. You got to uh, preach that louder to folks in the back for sure. Mark and Ming, a real pleasure. Ming Zhao, head of supply chain product strategy with InterSystems. Ming, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, Thanks for having me. You bet. And Mark Holmes, a dear friend of the show, senior advisor of supply chain at InterSystems. Mark, always a pleasure. Yes, thank you. Really enjoyed it. Greg, always a pleasure. Hey, big thanks to all the folks behind the scenes, Greg, right? We stand on the shoulders of giants here, right? Amanda, Catherine, Chantel, Clay, Karen as well for this episode. Thanks for all you do. Thanks for all the folks that showed up. Greg, we had a bunch of comments, a bunch of folks celebrating some of the thought leadership drop today. Greg, it was a good show, huh? Yeah, of course it was. Yeah. What else do we do? <laughs> That's right. And hey, <laughs> thank you, Juan. Great conversation as always. I appreciate that, Juan, from Dubai. Hope this finds you well. And thanks for being here as always. And Jeremy says, one final note. Oh, bed, bath, and beyond. I love that. What a great way to wrap. All right. Yeah, and instead they got a sledgehammer. <laughs> right, um, man. But whatever you do, folks, between Greg and Mark and Ming, we've tons of actionable insights here today. Yep. Deeds, not words. Do something with it, put it in a football and take action, move that mountain. But whatever you do, on behalf of our entire team here at Supply Chain Now, Scott Luton signing off, challenging you to do good, to give forward, and to be the change. And we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.